Mums on Cloud9. Within our podcast, we aim to inspire mums to progress their careers in the tech sector from starting out to climbing the career ladder. We provide tips and insight on how to succeed in your career and overcome adversity that many women can face within the workplace. During the latest series, we're talking about how to relaunch your career successfully and everything that goes hand in hand with that. Now, today I'm delighted to be joined by special guest, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, who's a burnout expert, and she recently did a TED talk on how to stop burnout before it starts. And I think this topic is such a valuable area to discuss with mums or dads that are going to relaunch their career, because quite often you've reached that pivotal point where you've already reached a burnout, and that's not where you want to be, because that takes a lot of work and effort to, you know, recover step back out, relaunch into something new. And something I'm also really mindful of with this topic is that many people, including myself, have launched, relaunched into what we see as a flexible career, i.e. we can work from home or we can work part-time. And somehow we can still get burnt out. And that's quite often because we haven't put strategies in place or got the right mindset to really manage our boundaries and our time and how we you know, manage things day to day. And that's everything that we're going to be talking about today. So if you've got that aspiration to have that wonderful life where you're loving life, you're working flexibly, you're earning well, then you need to listen to this show today because working out how to prevent burnout before it starts is very important. And you can get burnt out working part-time as much as you can working full-time, working flexibly from home as much as you can be in the office. So having these strategies in place is brilliant. So Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to introduce yourself to our, the audience? Yes, thank you so much for having me today. Yes, and I, I'm um, somebody who who went through burnout and actually ended up leaving my job um, and then starting out as a consultant and entrepreneur. So, um, you know, I had a academic career I was a professor in a public health department so even somebody that was working in areas of stress management still experienced burnout and to be honest I didn't know it at the time so I think quite often we transfer from one position to another without having gone through that recovery that you just said is so important because we haven't even recognized that we were burned out in the first place so I have so much um, compassion for for people experiencing this and you know we have to be so careful because sometimes it's the conditions we're working in um, and it's usually a mixture of both the conditions we're working in so leaving your job can can change those conditions if you know what to look for Mm. but actually wherever you go there you are you're taking yourself you're taking your own personality type or traits things that yes you can definitely work on but are things that you always have to be a little bit conscious of if you're a overgiver or a perfectionist or very you know achievement driven then those things are always going to be things that that you have to be careful of and really what you want is a a job that's those things are valued like your caring collaborative um you know hardworking side is absolutely what is valued and and nurtured by an organization versus you know maybe exploited so yeah it's such an important topic mm, exactly so let's get let's dig into it a little bit more so you mentioned that you didn't even know you were aware of your own burnout and you're in a stress management role right so it's so easy for us to kind of 
not be aware of it to know that we need to do something to change it before it gets to a certain pivotal point. So talk us through what some of the warning signs are of burnout. What would somebody be looking and thinking about or seeing? Right. And I think it's so important just to pause on that kind of stress management side of things, because one, lots of people who are managing their stress still burn out. So when mm. we hear companies saying, you know, take a vacation, self-care, and sort of it's all this individual focus. And to be honest, ends up becoming like individual shaming and blaming. And that's what happens to people. They may be like trying to look after their health and, um, you know, doing exercise and meditation and other things, but you can then still burn out. Um, and that happened to me. I was, you know, running my dog every day, managing my stress as much as I could but it also is a bit like you're the frog in the pot and the the water is being increased and you don't notice how much your stress has increased and also you know to be honest I was also just suppressing any sort of sense of feeling in my body um, and emotions and so I wasn't recognizing any sort of symptoms of stress um, because I was very good at managing it right so <laughs> it's so important for us to sort of understand um, that um, wh where that comes from so a very early sign to sort of think about is resentment that's one that when you really start to feel um, resentment for the things you're doing, um, uh, the people around you, when that starts to become rumination, those are really early signs. Now, the sort of um, WHO, the World Health Organization sort of definition, again, it's not always a diagnosis, basically a, a phenomenon. It's not a, an occupational phenomenon. It's not actually always diagnosed. Some countries have different definitions of this. But then you're talking about exhaustion, cynicism, um, really sort of wondering why you're doing what you're doing anymore. And, um, you know, in if you're in a caring sort of situation, starting to not care about the people around you, that's part of that cynicism. Mm -hmm. um, and then sort of ineffectiveness. And again, that doesn't mean that you're being not being productive. It just means it could be taking you a lot longer to get to where you're going. And you may not have even recognized that change. You're still sort of going, well, I'm getting there, but you don't realize how much extra effort it's taking you. So it's very ineffective. But I also you know, help orient people to this through this um, 12 stages of, of burnout from two psychologists, Freudenberger and North. And the first step on that burnout cycle is having to prove yourself. And that can come from a lot of different reasons. If you're from a marginalized group who is always having their expertise and commitment questioned, mm -hmm. then you may be always having to reprove yourself. Or if you've, um, you know, come from a, a social or family context where you're always having to prove yourself. So, I mean, that's kind of like the, the first step on that rung. And then it goes through 12 different stages where you're working harder, you're avoiding conflict, you start to change your values to fit in mm -hmm. um, then you start to withdraw potentially or again have maladaptive coping behaviors going through into really feeling um sense of isolation potentially depressive symptoms and and then to sort of like a a burnout syndrome but many people what happens is 
their body just stops because they've been getting messages from their body for a while to to slow down, to take a break, to reevaluate. And of course, our brains are very good at ignoring those messages. And so the body eventually goes, right, that's it. And either you can't get out of bed or you start having panic attacks or you end up going to the doctor because your hair's falling out and 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 you're having other symptoms Mm. of illness right Mm. um and so and that's why it can be really you know you have to be careful because it can be associated with things like adrenal fatigue and in that case again those messages about self-care would be Mm. quite different because in that situation you don't want to be doing high intensity exercise for example so i think it's you know it's a very serious um syndrome and and it and it's also something that we want to try and catch as early as possible you know even though the the burnout that I experienced was was quite extreme I just think it's so important to realize you know burnout is step one when you feel like you're having to reprove yourself and let's let's intervene there and when you're working harder and believing that that message of working harder is the answer and that's obviously what our organizations also um value and 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 put you know merit on um and actually it, it could be totally different the way that we evaluate people's contributions not based on more time in particular it could be more impact and value within a shorter work day for sure Mm. interesting so if you've got to that point where all those things you mentioned about recognizing burnout but you you know for the listeners they're like actually I'm already there already Mm. recovering from burnout feels quite complex then based on what you said because you could have lots of different sort of symptoms of that so if people are resonating with I think I'm actually already burnt out but how do I get myself back to on an even keel so I can relaunch a new career or take you know whatever they need to do to kind of recalibrate what would you recommend that they do right now mm-hmm. and and I I feel like I've been in burnout recovery now for four years and I know that a lot of people say will I ever get through this and will I ever be the same again and mm. so I think there's two things that people can be feeling and also again you know that a reason for us having this conversation is that y- you are not alone mm-hmm. and so I think there's there's a kind of in terms of um you know <laughs> will I ever be the same again well you know I was quite proud of that high achieving academic super mum that I was, but Mm. I also recognized I wasn't the mom I wanted to be, the colleague, the wife I wanted to be. And I actually have really um, learned so much. I've developed such a different set of emotional intelligence skills than I had at that time. Um, So I'm not the same person I was and I'm, you know, don't don't want to be, although some days I definitely wish I had that. same drive. ignorance <laughs> and drive but it was mm. ignorance right and it, mm. and it wasn't going to help me in the long run um and then um in terms of you know will I ever get through this I think it's really important to understand that for example for me yes I'm one of those perfectionist driven overgivers and so I I've got to work really hard to mitigate those feelings and recognize the symptoms in me earlier mm-hmm. um and actually one of the things that's happened to me I believe is that I've lost a lot of confidence and self-belief in the process and so it's kind of the same one of the coaches that I worked with 
with said, you know, your self-belief may be your Grand Canyon. You may keep falling back into that hole. And she Mm -hmm. said, the question is, how long does it take you to recognize you're there? And how long does it take you to get out of it? Mm -hmm. And so I think that applies to burnout too, is that we, we do have to just keep tabs on what we're feeling. So one, we have to first be able to recognize where is stress in my body when I allow myself to feel emotions where do I feel it where do I recognize it what are my symptoms that I know if it's getting you know short with the kids if it's saying things you wouldn't normally say if it's expressing frustrations little things getting to you resentment if those are your early symptoms or that you start to, you know, do less of your exercise or, or, you know, stress management routine, what are your early symptoms that tell you that um, you're, you're heading into kind of that, that burnout phase again? So I think that's so important. But for people who are actually feel like today they're in this um, sense of burnout, one of the big things is, I'd say two things. One is to be able to feel like you're getting back control and also the other one is to get perspective and permission so I really recommend people do get coaches or if they've got somebody in their life that can provide perspective to say what is realistic in your life and your daily habits right now and um give you permission to say, okay, it's okay to do less. Or as a mom, it's okay to take a week off of parenting um, because these breaks are things we really need. And to reset and and have a different sort of mindset around expectations, Mm -hmm. um, it's quite challenging. And also to have a different mindset around setting boundaries is, is also challenging. So I think these things, it's really helpful when you have a coach to help you. But the other things that I did on my own were things like um, assessing, I just set up a really simple Excel file to start to assess two different things. One was how often am I saying yes? And how often am I saying no? Because every no made me feel so guilty. And every yes was as though I was a victim and I wasn't actually making choices. Right. Right. And I didn't realize I was making choices, but every choice had a cost that I wasn't Mm -hmm. in my optimistic state, wasn't appreciating. So that really helped me because one, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm getting asked new things so often. And, and two, this is ridiculous how much I've I've got on my plate and I'm saying yes to. And I started to then value my yeses so differently. And then the second part of that was really looking at everything I was doing because I had this messaging to myself that I was a bad mom, bad wife and bad boss. So one of the coaches said to me, well, write down everything you do for everybody else in your life. And I had this huge long list. And she's like, well, that doesn't look like anything on that list is you know, a bad person list, right? And then she said, and and so one, can you give yourself some gratitude that you're doing all these things? And two, start to look at that list and say, which do you actually want to do? Which is from some obligation you're feeling versus actually you love doing that thing. And when I looked and saw how much was coming from obligation, oh, I just felt so sick to my stomach because I realized I, I wasn't living a life I wanted and I suddenly wasn't living a life I wanted for my daughter that was the other thing if I was role modeling a life that I would not want her to have so you know I really had to face that kind of ego part of me that was wanting to be this big achieving person and enjoying being the martyr in some ways and I really had to face that and say 
this is not what I want for my daughter. So I, I need to be role modeling something else to move forward with those aspects. That's really important. I think that the importance of having a coach there is your third party person to speak openly and honestly and frankly with um, is so important because it's confidential. It's just you and them. You discuss all this stuff that you probably wouldn't tell other people. Um, you know, I'm a big investor in having coaches to work alongside. And, um, you know, it's so important, isn't it, to have somebody holding your hand on that journey through, you know, mm -hmm. finding your feet and getting back out and making them really just ask yourself those really important questions and looking at things from different lenses like you know what is it that you do do for people so I really really appreciate and value you know the advice that you're sharing there um for those that are what not wanting to obviously be in this position what's some of the self-management strategies that you encourage people to do to kind of avoid getting to this place in the first place yeah, I think it is really recognizing um, what your emotions are and what your emotions are telling you and sharing those emotions with, with others. Because again, I think we, you know, we have our manual of operations for how we want everybody else to um, be around us. And we haven't necessarily communicated those rules and expectations to other people. Um, and again, I was just holding all my emotions in. So then one, I got to this point of not knowing what I wanted. If someone actually said, well, what do you want? You know, I left my my job and, and then it was like, well, what do you want next? And I had no idea. And that's why when mums sometimes can take a week off and actually just say to yourself, okay, what would you like to eat today? And yeah. almost they can't answer that question. How many people do that, right? <laughs> right, because they spend so much time just working around everybody else's needs. Mm. So, I mean, I think you know that that's definitely part of it because not only recognizing our emotions so we can manage our stress but also understanding our emotions so we can know what we we need and then really sh sharing them being able to be vulnerable to to share those so you know kind of an example i i give is that um one of the things that i you know, take the role in our family, but also find quite draining is, you know, the kids kind of mental health. And mm -hmm. so when the kids are having a problem with someone, I'm the one that sits down and talks through with them about it. Mm -hmm. And I had to have the bravery to admit that one, this was draining for me. And that made me feel like I, I was a bad mom. Mm -hmm. But once I could actually say, this drains me to my husband, he would say, afterwards, I know that's hard for you. Thanks for doing it. And that was just such a different, you know, way that filled me up again, that helped me, you know, um, for him to realize I was doing things that, you know, he just assumed I could do everything and there was, yeah. I wasn't having any problems, right, with anything. Yeah. Um, but when I actually shared what it was like. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, I think that's um, a real key to this um, because then we can, I mean, we need those things to take you know into the workplace and other places too mm. so I think um yeah as I say I, I I call it sort of developing that emotional intelligence awareness of your own emotions awareness of other people's ability to regulate them but also ability to communicate them and process them um mm. so that was helpful for me 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's funny, a friend said that to me on Saturday when we were out. She said, you've got to share that, you know, because I was like, oh, I'm keeping all this stuff down because I don't want to load on other people. And I'm like, yeah, but if they don't know, because I'm like, but then I don't feel supported. It's like, well, if they don't know, how can they support you? <laughs> so right. it's really interesting, isn't it? It's like you feel like you're, you've got to hold all this stuff on your shoulders yourself and not share it with your partner because you don't want to put it on their shoulders because they've got enough on their shoulders but they're like well you can't mean that they're not you know they're not there for you if you don't tell them and that's a great example that you shared about you know sharing something that you feel is something you should be fine with because you're a mum and you can do everything right you know you're amazing um but you know just that whole openness and that support from your partner is a really great example about why it's important to share and not be scared of offloading with a view that together you can be stronger and feel better out the back of it so right and I think that's such an important point you make that fear of offloading onto others because I think it's also into our fear of setting boundaries Mm. you know we're we're afraid of setting a boundary but someone else may be really good at boundaries and have no problem with your boundaries right yes often Mm. we talk about times where we set boundaries and, and other people don't like them but actually there's also situations too where you sharing an emotion or something doesn't make somebody else feel worse maybe it makes them feel more able to support you and 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 good about that so it's like giving other people the opportunity to to show up for you um, and not thinking you're burdening other people Mm. Um, because just because you take the burdens of other people on board right I think that's part of that difference you know when we I really noticed that how I take responsibility so seriously and that it does weigh on me not everyone does that not everyone Mm. has that experience so we can't assume that that's how they're taking responsibility and actually one of the ways that I thought was really helpful to try and think differently about these things in in, um, sort of a lateral way to this conversation is one of the coaches that I interviewed on on my podcast was talking about if you can have a sort of mediocre man mindset and an example of this um, was with a, a colleague who was trying to do a book proposal and she was reviewing 30 different books as part of her marketing part of the proposal where you say what are you why is your book different to others so she was reviewing 30 different books and she was like I haven't got this proposal finished I said no wonder I said okay what would happen if you were a mediocre man how many books would you review and she straight away said two I was like oh well that was easy so maybe double that do four but not 30 so it's like how can we give ourselves this measure of something so I always try and remind mums about this like you know we feel guilty when we don't volunteer at the school or something well a mediocre man isn't even aware there's volunteering at school let alone sitting around (laughs) feeling guilty about it so again if we look at the other mothers as our benchmark for what we should be doing well they're all busy and stressed out too so they're not necessarily the best role models for us either Mm. um so I do like that sort of you feel this great relief when you kind of have that mindset or at least a marker you can ask yourself Mm. what would somebody who didn't care so much as me be you know thinking about at this point and again Mm. they wouldn't be feeling guilty and 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 doing as much as you're doing and so it's it's a way to try and recalibrate I think that that can be really really helpful 
Mm, interesting. And it goes back to that point you said at the beginning about being a people pleaser or always trying to, you know, be everything to all people. And um, that's something you can work on with a coach, isn't it? It's just to kind of step back and kind of just not be as, uh, not have as many high expectations for yourself um, right. and sort of really knuckle down on what does success look like. Um, one of the things that I suppose people fall in a trap of is having habits that just keep rearing up for them. And one of the things that we spoke about in advance of the podcast was about how to unlearn bad habits, because that might be the thing that's causing them a degree of burnout and they can't change that habit. You know, without that, they need a way of changing that habit, but they're not sure how to do it. What would be your recommendation about how to unlearn bad habits if that's one of the problems? Right. And and that is such an important one. So, for example, you know, if you're somebody that is always checking your email and doing work outside of hours, you need to unlearn that habit because it is a somewhat an addiction um, and we can be doing it without even noticing it in the end. And that's kind of what is partly the definition of a habit when something is automatic and not conscious anymore so one you have to get it to the stage of okay I'm aware that I'm doing this thing (laughs) (laughs) so that you can then start to pay attention to how to how to change it Um, and again then the unlearning is often it's trying to actually you know one you can set really clear boundaries around things um, but two you can also try and replace it with something else so again you know if if you're struggling um after work to to um not be looking at your devices then what are other things you can be doing is it something you'd rather be doing with your kids or is it a hobby that you want to have outside of the home like what can you be doing so that you've got your you know you replace that behavior with a different more more positive behavior so that's certainly one way of doing it but the other way too is that organizations can help you because they can set guardrails and there's this fantastic new book um how the future works and it's all about setting guardrails around okay what are the hours that we have as collaborative hours as a organization and making those really focused really clear having really clear reasons for meetings and things and those become the guardrails so that's kind of what you also need as as an employee too is to know no the organization isn't expecting me to answer these emails after hours in fact as a leader I'm setting a really bad example when I do that Mm. Um, so kind of trying to reframe that behavior in the same way as I did with thinking about my daughter well I'm being a really bad role model to my daughter Um, you know you want to try and um, help yourself see okay what are the downsides of this behavior I'm doing and then having accountability partners having people that say to you hey I noticed you were checking your email or you responded to an email after hours remember that's what we've agreed is is not a good behavior for you and nor a good behavior for this team mm-hmm. um so again anything that you can do to get sort of accountability and support with any habit I think we so honest underestimate how much support we need to change our habits and so I think that's such an important part of really going through and and making it very clear and when we develop habits also having really really clear goals you know about um you know on, on how many days a week are you going to try not not do this um, thing and mm. and again it may be at first you're just saying okay let me try you know 
one night a week not to do it and you start small and then you get to Mm. get some confidence around that and then you expand it um but if Mm. we set ourselves like sort of unrealistic goals from the beginning and expect ourselves to stop in 24 hours then that's also really unrealistic yeah it's it pings up a couple of things for me is one of I, I got into a, when I was sort of going through the burnout and just um just watching really rubbish tv at night it was just rubbish it wasn't rubbish mm. but it kind of was dra- dramatic and would get me you know completely in a different zone and forget everything but I was too tired to do anything else um and so I've been really working really hard to get out of the habit of watching tv at night which I've now done like I don't really like, I'll watch an occasional film um but putting things in my diary and doing other things like podcast recordings or going out and meeting friends and things mm-hmm. and putting other things in has been like the real antidote to that. It has been, you know, or even going to bed with the kids and sort of reading to them and reading again at night, you know, putting other things in the diary or doing other activities has definitely helped kind of unlearn some of those bad habits I had. Um, but that took, you know, it took a while. And um, something else I suppose to flag, and it leads me nicely onto my next topic, is you're really talking about responding to emails after hours. So there's been quite a debate, and it's something that we've always done at Supermums, is that we all work around the clock because we're global. And some of those in the team will work evenings, but then that aligns with answering queries from some of the guys in the US and stuff like that. And there was somebody posted out on LinkedIn um, because somebody had said to him and his team, well, why are you working that late? And he's like, well, I work in the evening sometimes because I take off during the day or do school pickups. Um, and so it's an interesting example because you might absolutely have that out of hours um, kind of agreement within your company culture. And that, that may or may not work for you, actually. The reality is, I think, post-pandemic is a lot of companies have flexible hours and there might not be a stringent out of hours anymore of answering emails because somebody might want to work at 10 at night because that's what works for them and they're fitting it in. So, you know, those you know those examples evolve and change. And I think that leads me on to this topic of company cultures that we were going to discuss mm-hmm. is, you know, the expectations of people, because I think what I'm not okay with is where there's bad cultures of you must respond and answer anytime on your phone. You can't be off at weekends. And there was a lady that came on one of our Supermums retreats and um, she was expected to answer emails and calls anytime, weekends or evenings from her clients on a WhatsApp. And I was like, there's no boundaries there. There's no boundaries at all. And so it's an interesting one in that, you know, what is the culture of that organization? Can you share with us some of the things some of your thoughts around that and you know how you find alignment because you want to work for a company that is going to support you and make sure that isn't going to create burnout right right and and I think that example the practical example you have of people working different shifts and and different schedules but I think again if somebody's email says you know, something like, um, I don't expect you to respond out of hours, I may be working out of hours, right? That's quite different to saying, my work hours are this to this. um, So, uh, you know, this is when you may receive emails for me, right? Mm. <laughs> like yeah. even demonstrating you have limits mm. in those hours that you're setting. But again, so many of the emails are, you know, I don't expect you to respond 
but I'm working. And of course yeah, that messaging yeah. is a boss to your employees, which unfortunately I was also not very good at doing, um, was, was exactly that, that mm-hmm. no, the rules are for you to look after yourself, but they don't apply to me. And, and that's just such bad, um, messaging. And, and, um, of course then your employees do not feel free to, mm. to actually put limits on their, their time either. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's so important Um, just from a basic, the reason we have like work hours and limits on work hours, you know, the history of that is because it's unsafe when you work too many hours, right? That's where the the work week and the work days came from. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really understanding that as a basis for saying, you know, this is not, um, safe to me to be to be available 24 7 and the 24 7 the always on always available culture also leads to inequalities because mums are not always available to be on 24 7 for work Mm. um and so that that definitely there's a there's a great um report from Deloitte that basically outlines that very clearly how how that leads to um, inequalities. So um, it's also not a a fair practice um, either. And then you see countries like Portugal have have laws and policies around this because, you know, it's so important to be able to actually set limits on this. So I I agree, you know, doctors right they're not they're not available they're not on call 24 7 yes doctors are on call far more often than they should be but again you know that that there there are limits of when you should be on and have shifts and things like that for a reason Mm. um so i i think it is really important to to look for that in um an employer You, you need to sort of say okay how are you handling um flexible work um what are our agreed upon collaboration hours mm-hmm. um what is the expected uh, availability um and and really start to look at those things and so you know some of the keys and it dif- differs where you are so for example in the us here um you know i think things that people can look out for is well does your company actually have um you know paid leave and um paid time off and and um other things that you can access those are to me are indicators of a company that is trying to um you know look after its employees so you know you can ask do you have agreements in place for what collaborative hours are and how does your flex time work and um i think lots of companies you know they're just surviving in this mode still um and and doing their best but actually it, like i had mentioned that that book how the future works it has amazing guidelines and tools and agreements that you can use to actually be really intentional Mm -hmm. intentional how you manage the work day and um, do it from a perspective of this is going to work for everybody this has to work for everyone everyone has to feel comfortable on on this zoom everyone has to be able to provide input in whatever way they are more comfortable doing whether that's you know adding um written notes before or after a meeting um you know that there are so many different ways that people need to be able to um 
give their input. Um, but I think most companies have not come from that perspective. And also most of the C-suite is white men who very much want to go back to their um, comfortable head offices mm. and a company that can create a digital head office that is equally appealing and a place where people want to be. That's really what I think people need to be um, able to to commit to and invest mm. in. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is, it is really important. And so again, I think that, you know, there's so many ways that you can, you know, ask questions about it, you can look on on LinkedIn to see what people from that company are, are, are posting about, um, you know, you can um, see what are their, their, their policies around things. And again, when they're not when they can't actively answer these types of questions, you know, okay, that they've not really thought about this properly yet mm -hmm. and what's important with that I think is that it, I want to encourage listeners to have a voice and to bring mm. it up because you know even at Supermoms right we promote flexibility and things like that we haven't thought of everything and actually somebody brings it to the table like oh, okay yeah we could do that well it hasn't come up before or nobody's mentioned it before so I've certainly seen some of our supermoms that have gone out into employers change their policies, change their approach. And I'm really proud that they're doing that. You know, mm. they are changing a company that was very much like, you know, some of the things that you've described. Um, but um, after they brought it up at interview, not even when they were in the job, you know, they have made changes. And, and so don't assume that every employer, um, you know, has it perfectly scoped out because it may no. not have been flagged it may not have been voiced maybe it was a concern for other people so do do speak out you know uh, encourage all the listeners to share these things with employers what's important is how they react to that so a company that dismisses it and doesn't care is obviously the company culture that you don't really want to be at because they're not going to support you and burnout's more inevitable in that kind of capacity because I do think you know those sorts of situations where you're always expected to be on your phone you're always expected to respond you know and things like that is not healthy and not you know respected at all whereas if you are approaching a company that maybe doesn't have this stuff in place but you ask for it you recommend it you sort of give examples of what other people are doing and they go oh yeah you know what that's really important that's the type of company that you want to work for and it goes back to our other comments about just being emotionally aware being aware of what's working what's not working and I every quarter I, I revisit okay what's working and what's not for me and I rechange things in my diary or I do different things I was you know one of my favorite things to tell listeners is don't just stand still but make changes um, and those changes might be making changes at the company where you work if you can and if you mm -hmm. can't, then that's the time to think, well, actually, I need to find an employer that's going to support me with X, Y, Z. Right. And and I really think this is just a, a different way of working. And, and so don't assume bad intent exactly mm -hmm. on the part of, of the uh, employer or even the CEO, because, again, they're just doing what they sort of grew up learning to do. Yeah, exactly. And because um, I was I was talking to a CEO recently who was saying, well, so then am I supposed to measure whether people are, are online all the time and tracking them? And I was like, no, that's that's just presenteeism. That's the mm -hmm. the you know the the 
jacket on the back of the office chair. No, you want to be, you want to be trusting your employees and measuring impact. Mm. Um, but it's again, we have this old, such an old mindset of actually what matters. Mm. Um, and so I, I don't think it's it's necessarily um bad intent at, at, at all. And and in fact, employees can be trying to like have personal check-ins with people and finding that they're not, you know, employees aren't comfortable yet speaking about certain things. Um, so so again, it, you know, they there is at the moment, there's so many reports showing this really big mi- mismatch between what the C-suite are trying their best to do and help people with and what actually people need um so again that's where sometimes the middle managers are getting a bit stuck trying to manage up and Mm -hmm. actually communicate Mm -hmm. those needs and they're the ones that can be sandwiched and have been really helping their employees with their mental health but aren't Mm -hmm. necessarily getting help themselves Um, but again i think it needs to be so clear to um you know the c-suite and leaders in terms of those institutional guardrails are like what behaviors are actually acceptable? Because again, if their whole life they've been checking their emails 24 yeah. seven, they don't know that what that's doing to everyone around them. Mm-hmm. And if nobody's told them that. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, th- I agree, um, there is a certain amount of um, room we have to le- leave for everybody to to learn and 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 be trying their best and and improving once they know better habits. But yeah. um, then there does come that point of saying, okay, well this isn't changing, so I'm going to look elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you don't want to be in that company culture where you're thinking, well, I have to be like that, checking my emails all the time if I'm wanting that promotion. You know, and if I only do the limited amount, then I'm not going to get the promotion or the pay rise or whatever it is. Um, and that's you know, that's another benchmark for company culture, isn't it? Is sort of I've been really inspired by you know women who are in leadership positions, you know, be it mums and and dads equally, you know, because the men need to buy into this, you know, they might, again, want to get home for their kids. And we've certainly seen a bit of a step change with that with the pandemic is, um, you know, making sure that, um, you know, we've got those expectations in place for everybody and that it's fair and equal for everybody to progress so it's been fabulous talking through all these things today um Jacqueline where could they learn more about you and your TED talk and and what support you offer people yes thank you the the best way to get a hold of me or to to see I've got free guides and lots of um, articles that I post is on my website which is drjacquelinekerr.com And my TEDx talk, How to Stop Burnout Before It Starts, is on my website, but also on on YouTube and on the TED site too. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been really interesting today. And, you know, certainly a lot of people that go through our course and want to relaunch their career, you know, everything we talk about today is the sort of things you want to be getting into place and being mindful of if you're going to step into the world of work, particularly if it's flexible and you want that flexibility be conscious of the mindset that you take with that and not to burn out whilst you're working flexibly because that defeats the whole object completely <laughs> so if we can support you at supermoms to relaunch your career successfully um do come and speak to us about our courses and what we offer we'd love to help please do rate and review the the, the podcast today if you enjoyed it we'd love to hear from you and we look forward to talking to you again soon take care thank you Jacqueline, so much thank you, thank you.